How many of you have ever read um, Brian Simmons' Passion Translation of the New Testament? How many of you have ever? Yeah, I would recommend it. Translation, but uh, he, he um, I think from the New Testament, he translated out of the Aramaic as opposed from the Greek. So it's interesting. It's got a lot of really interesting insights in it. And so we're going to read this morning Luke 5, 1 through 11 from the Passion Translation. And this is the story of Jesus um, stepping into Peter's boat and the miraculous catch of fish. And so it's just just a remarkable story. Now, we do have the picnic, so I've cut my message down from four hours to uh, one. That's not true. I'm supposed to be with you. But um, I have an orange shirt on today. My wife doesn't like orange, but uh, I got a really good price on the shirts. <laughs> felt like looking like a, you know, like a prophetic pumpkin or something here. So anyway, in closing, listen, do not relax. Do not have fun today, please. It would, if you have fun, it's going to disturb the devil and you don't want to, no, come on. The Lord's good. How many of you love Jesus this morning? Is there? Is there a Jesus contingency here today? I love Jesus. If you know me like I know me, and I know him like I know him, you would love him too. That's right. I'm awesome. Okay, let's read this together. Now, some of you get confused. When I say read out loud, you still don't. But out loud means words coming out of your mouth. Thank you very much. On one occasion, Jesus was preaching to the crowds on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There was a vast multitude of people pushing to get close to hear the Word of God. Is that not up there? I miss G. He's the only person we can't afford to miss, ladies and gentlemen. Let me, uh, let me repent. We cannot afford to miss Jesus. Now, this is the new me. Is that up there too? Just half of it. As I said earlier, in closing, this will get serious in a minute and you'll be mad at me. So, uh, not really. Um... Next verse. He noticed two fishing boats at the water's edge with the fishermen nearly rinsing their nets. Okay. I am trying my best. That ought to scare everybody. Jesus climbed into the boat belonging to Simon Peter and asked him, let me use your boat. Now, let me make a point. Didn't sound much like a question there, did it? Let me use your boat. Push it off a short distance away so I can speak to the crowds. Then Jesus sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. When he had finished, he said to Simon Peter, Now let's go out into the deep to cast your nets, and you will have a great catch. But Master, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I have got the five in the parentheses there for some reason, and it, it threw me off, so 
Um, have you ever tried to write a book when you're uh, dyslexic and ADD? Welcome to my world. Thank you. Okay. But Master Peter replied, We've just come back from fishing all night and didn't catch all of your word. When they pulled up their nets, they were shocked to see such a huge catch of fish, so much that their nets were ready to burst. So they waved to their business partners in the other boat for help. They ended up completely filling both boats with fish until their boats began to sink. Deep breath. We got some more to go. When Simon Peter saw this miracle, he knelt down at Jesus' feet and begged him, saying, Go away from me, Master, for I am nothing but a sinful man. Simon Peter and the fishermen, including his fishing partners, James and John, the sons of... Good try there. Were totally awestruck over the miracle catch of fish. Then Jesus answered Peter, saying, Don't yield to your fear, Simon Peter. From now on you will catch men for salvation. After pulling their boats to the shore, they just left everything behind and followed Jesus. That is a, that is a very, very powerful story. And there's so much in here, I know I won't, I know I won't get to all. Well, wow, we got a lot of time. I might get to all of it. But anyway, when you, when you read this story, um, you, you, of course, you get the picture that Peter and James and John, probably his brother Andrew, I think all four of them were in that fishing business together. All of them, all four of them became disciples and apostles. It's a pretty remarkable story. And if you look deeply into the story, you probably discover that they were all relatives of Jesus. Matter of fact, out of the 12 apostles, I think between 8 and 10 of them were relatives and could have known him all his life. You don't get that directly from the text, but um, they, were, uh, they were all in the same general family group. They all went to, to Jerusalem for the feast. They probably spent um, four weeks a year feasting at Feast of Tabernacles, the Passover, and all of that. So there's a good chance they really did know each other more than just meeting here in this occasion. Actually, if you look in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist tells Andrew, maybe it's Andrew and John, that Jesus is the Messiah, and they go get Peter, and that has to happen before all of this. So it's really interesting when you see all the dynamic behind these um, these remarkable relationships. But here's what we do know. Peter and his partners had fished all night. And uh, nighttime was the time that they, they actually could catch fish. And they caught nothing. And they were cleaning their nets there on the Sea of Galilee. Meanwhile, the place they were cleaning their nets, Jesus was speaking to... Um, what um, what the translate the the passion translation calls a vast multitude of people, and so there they are washing their nets, and on the shore there, who knows how many thousand people, and they're listening to Jesus. And then we find um, we find Jesus doing a most remarkable thing. He just climbs into Peter's boat. 
And although the Passion Translation uh, in verse 3 says, let me um, use your boat, you don't really get that exact phrase there in, in the Gospels in the New Testament. But it's a really interesting thing to see that Jesus climbs almost unannounced right into Peter's boat. And um, then he says to him, push off a little bit from the shore. And Jesus began. I've wondered about that phrase, let me use your boat. It sounds to me like Jesus just got in his boat and took over. And there's one thing that really, really struck me in this whole idea about being chosen. Let's say that together. Being, being chosen. Something happens. There's certain times you are chosen that your life will dramatically change. Like when a man and a woman choose one another and they get married. Life will never be the same. When they choose to have children and they have children, life will <laughs> never be the same. And I was thinking about that whole idea of being chosen, being chosen by God. And I thought about, not that I'm a football fan, but uh, my wife made me watch both nights of the uh, NFL draft this past week. Six hours of agony as we, now nah, I like football, but, um, you know, when you're chosen in the NFL draft, I think you could see some of the, the responses these guys made. I mean, their life will never be the same. They can literally go from an inner city kid with never having known a father to a multi-millionaire overnight. Your life will never be the same. Whether you succeed or fail at football, your life will never be the same. The problem is many of them, because of that choice, because of their, their dedication, their, their athletic skill, their chosen, to many of them, it's really more of a road to ruin. Uh, how many, how many you know, stories do we have of professional athletes that didn't know how to handle their money? Hey, let me tell you this. I grew up in a great family. I had great parents. If I wasn't a good guy. It wasn't going to be their fault. But if you'd have given me $10 million when I was 20 years old, I was going to mess up. That's all there was to it. It would be how bad I messed up, not if I messed up. But that's what happens when you're chosen. When you're chosen, things change. I was thinking about, um, you know, like winning the Nobel Prize. What could be a greater honor than being chosen to be considered for a Nobel Prize? And, of course, um, that the history of that's very, very interesting if you've ever looked at it. But then those are people who've been chosen by men. What is it, what is it for God to choose you? What is it to be chosen by God himself? What is it to to have, as it were, Jesus to step into your boat and then begin to give you pretty aggressive um, opportunities to, to, to function and to act. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about um, someone making a choice let me see, not this one, not that one. I want, I want this one. And what if that this one is you 
and the person choosing is the God of the universe. That to me is the highest privilege. Sometimes in my own devotional life, I decide I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to thank God. I worked for 20, 20 years in the food service equipment industries, uh, selling equipment and designing kitchens. And I can't remember, I have the most awesome job. I love this. If I'm going to be honest about it, I never loved it. It didn't like me much either at times. But um, now, I think that's a problem. I think that's um, anything I say here, I'm trying to help somebody. Does everybody get that? So I'm not coming as Mr. Perfect. I'm coming up as Mr. Goofoff that found some solutions to tell poor old weird messed up people who might come to church here so they can get some help. Is everybody on board with that? Just because I didn't love my job, that could be on me. I mean, I had it for 20 years. It makes sense to try to love something if you're stuck with it for 20 years, right? And actually, I can remember um, I spent many a day in the complaint zone. And um, up until one specific day, I made a choice. And I made a choice to stop complaining because my wife read me something a friend of mine wrote in a book which said, um, if you're in the wilderness, you'll stay in that wilderness until you quit complaining about who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. And then the picture is of the children of Israel dying in the wilderness and never having fulfilled their destiny. And I don't know anybody who ever hopes they do not fulfill their destiny. Is there anyone here like that this morning? I doubt it. And so there was a point where I told my wife, I'll, I'll never complain about this job again, period. And within a matter of months, my entire life had changed again. And we were in ministry after all those years having a call on my life, but not a way to do what I felt like I was supposed to do. I had to make a choice. I had to make a decision. But the thing that struck me is my worst day in ministry in some ways um, is and this is not completely true because I've had a couple of really bad days. However, almost without exception, my worst days in ministry have been better than my best days in that place because I had a call on my life I didn't know how to, to fulfill, and I lived, I lived with it because I knew I had been chosen. Actually, the Lord spoke to me. Um, I think I was probably, I think I was 40 years old, and he said, I kept saying it was God's fault I was in ministry, but the problem was he thought it was my fault. So I have a problem without a solution. I'm saying it's your fault, and he's saying it's your fault, but he's the one that's going to get me there, so I've got to have an attitude adjustment. So anyway, the one point the Lord said to me, I really want you to leave your job for ministry, and if you don't do it, now, I'll never talk to, to you about it again. Anybody have a conversation like that with the Lord? You know, he will talk to you like that sometimes. Usually he's really nice and really sweet, but sometimes he'll just say, hey, listen, in or out. In or out. Now, one problem was I didn't have a ministry to leave my job for. So I had to leave my job and see how, how this was going to develop. But what I have discovered over the years is this 
I am mightily privileged to be doing what I'm doing. That I have a platform of whatever size it is to tell people about God. To try to, through my 50 some odd years of walking with him, best of my ability, to try to tell them what I believe he's like, uh, what he's been to me, how he's been to me. And it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge privilege to be chosen, for God to have chosen me. Well, see, it's a huge privilege for anyone to have responded to God's choice to save them, to make them a simple believer. Now, when I'm, I'm saying business is a second-class situation it was just this was my personal personal destiny it wasn't in the business community but i think we have shortchanged people in the business community when it comes to the concepts of destiny and purpose and anointing and authority you can have all of that wherever it is you have been set with full confidence i do not elevate the ministry above every other occupation what I elevate is finding your destiny in whatever that is. You with me? Yeah. But this is mine. And I've discovered I'm eternally grateful that God chose me. I'm eternally grateful for the wife he gave me and my children. It's been, it's been such an honor and such, such a privilege. Now, when, when the story opens there in verse 1... You have a vast multitude of people. Do you see what it says? There was a vast multitude of people. What were they doing? Pushing to do what? To get close to Jesus. But in verse 3, you see Jesus himself pushing to get close to Peter. That's what it is to be chosen. God chose you. God has picked you out. You, if you're saved, you think you found Jesus. No, you found the one that found you first. You just didn't get it. You have, you have a unique privilege of being chosen by God to do something with your life. I think that's... I think that's wonderful. So what happens when Jesus climbs into your boat? Well, Peter was tired. Anybody uh, just ex exhausted? And the Lord begins to challenge you to do something you don't feel like doing. Anybody ever, Lord ever ask anybody here to do something they didn't want to do? I got two people, okay. Well, Jesus climbs into Peter's boat. You may be tired. Peter was tired. I mean, I think it's pretty much the human condition in some regards to have worked all night and have not much to show for it. I felt like that before myself. You worked all night, you got nothing to show for it. You did it all right, you got nothing to show for it. You got a good partner, you got nothing to show for it. And then you run into this Jesus, and Jesus is uh, teaching the multitudes. You're tired, you're cleaning your nets, you're going to call it a day or a night, you worked all night, however they did it, maybe they're getting ready to go home and sleep. But Jesus climbs into Peter's boat and asks Peter to do something he doesn't want to do. Welcome to Christianity. That is the way this thing works. 
If he gets in your boat, he assumes he's in charge. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. He assumes he's Lord. That's one of the complexes Jesus seems to have. So he jumps in Peter's boat. Peter's tired. He asks Peter to do something Peter does not want to do, and he's got a great explanation because Peter says, hey, now that I've spoken to the multitudes, let's go fishing. Now, if I've understood the life of Peter, he was from... um, He has a legacy of fishermen in his background. He's done it all his life. He's grown up on this lake. He knows when fish bite. He knows when fish don't bite. He's been all night fishing, probably four of them at least, two boats, maybe more. No fish. Jesus shows up, preaches, and then says to him, "Uh, let's go. Let's go fishing. And Peter has a great explanation. Um... We've been out all night. We didn't catch anything. We've just come back. Now, I have a feeling that Peter had a deep respect for Jesus already because he goes on and says, but according to your word, we will cast down our nets. And when they pulled up their nets, they were shocked. They had such a huge catch. The Bible says they had so many fish. When they put them in the two boats, both of the boats were in danger of sinking. And, and so we've got to understand who it is that's talking to us when God begins to speak to us when we've invited into our lives. He asked Peter to not illegal, but contrary to his natural wisdom. And the end result was Peter caught more fish than he may possibly have ever seen anyone ever catch. Uh, One estimation is it was two weeks worth of people fishing all night, that whole crowd. Two weeks worth of fish, a ton of fish, so much that both boats were sinking. So you have to ask yourself something when the Lord begins to speak to you. Let me ask you this. How many of you, the Lord Lord speaks to you? How many of you know? Yeah, wave them up. Stick them real high. Yeah, look around the room while your hands are up. Look at all those people who know God speaks. When I, when I think about Queen City Church, I'm so excited about what the Lord's doing here. I'm so thrilled. Uh, the team of people that helped start it almost seven years ago. Actually, our, our anniversary is Father's Day coming up in June. It's going to be cool. Um, but I... Uh, I completely lost my train of thought. And so I'm having a, an Alzheimer moment here, but I will be back in a moment. Anyone have a suggestion about what I continue to talk about at this point? Jesus spoke and something amazing happened. I think maybe that means you should come finish the message this morning, John. That sounded a little bit richer than what I'd been saying here for the last few minutes. But no, Jesus spoke, but he spoke contrary to their wisdom, contrary to what they would normally do. And here's where I was going before I got excited about the people who've done this with me for these years. I can remember at 59 years of age when I had a good job, a comfortable income, I was involved in ministry, that the Lord told me, 
I want you to go minister to these people. Whoever you are now, that's who he called me to. And then he told me this, which sort of makes the point for this whole idea of being chosen. He said, and if you don't do it, I'll go get someone else. Now, I can't imagine missing this for what we've been able to see and do. And Andy and Amy and all the different things that have happened over the years. Now, I may not have been God's first choice, but I was the one that answered. But if he missed, he would have chosen someone else. And what we need to re- really need to hear this morning is we need to respect the person that's choosing us and understand he has got something significant for us to do that we could never do if we didn't obey and we didn't respond to the one who was directing and guiding us. That's right. That's right. Listen, if you want, someone will. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that, and I've had the Lord tell me to do stuff, and I said, no, I don't want to do it, then I went and did it anyway. I'm that guy. I don't want to be the guy that says, yes, I will, and don't go. I want to be the guy that loves God. I want, I want to be the guy that understands what a privilege it is to address people in the name of the Lord, to encourage them, to try to give them to the best of my abilities. And to the best of my ability to push off, like I said a couple of weeks ago, to close the door behind me. To not like Peter was here, not trying to determine my future based on my past. No, I'm not fishing in the daytime because when I fished in the daytime the other day, it didn't work. But he had this intelligence. He had this relational intelligence when it came to his life in God. When God told him something contrary to his own wisdom, he saw that when he did it, he was way more successful than when he lived by his own human wisdom. That's who's talking to us this morning. That's who's speaking to us. Now, one thing Peter did. I really like, let me go to something here. I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. There are three places for you to live. You live in the past. You live in the present. You live in the future. One of the psychologists I've read that I appreciate because their insights, um, honestly, I find them in the Scripture, and it's wonderful to see people who help people in other um, avenues or venues actually help them in ways that the Bible says is accurate. But he talks this way. You have a past, you have a present, you have a future. But there's only one place you can actually live, and that's in the present right now. This particular person said, if you want to be depressed, get a past. If you want to be afraid, get a future. And see what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So many people determine their future based on their experiences in the past, and what they're really doing is they're driving in the rearview mirror. They're living their old life over again instead of discovering that when you can live in the present, you have the presence of the present one who will begin to speak to you in such a ways that he can reinterpret your past and reinterpret your future as well. But when you live in your own understanding of failure and defeat from the past, you will be stuck there. 
And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't even exist. Where is the past? Go get me one jar of the past. I would like a quarter of the past, please. Can anyone please give me three pints of the past? Or let me have this. I would like seven gallons of the future. Nobody knows what the future is going to bring but God. Wouldn't it be important to be in touch with him about it? I think so. I think so. Now, Peter was imagining his future would be like his past, but everything changes when Jesus climbs into the boat. Wonder what would happen if we invited Jesus into the boat. You know, there was another time when that was going on, when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee, and um, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they have to invite him into the boat. He acted like he was going to go on by him. You know, there are times Jesus will jump in your boat, won't him ask you whether you want him in there or not. And there are other times he's not getting in unless he's invited. Does that make sense? It really is time to invite the Lord. If you don't feel like he's in your boat, ask him to be. I was thinking about this too. Jesus' mentality is one of abundance. He broke nets. Boats once empty, once empty 10 minutes earlier with exhausted fishermen after a bad night fishing with nothing to show for it are now full and sinking from the weight of the fish. I believe Jesus really does want us to have an abundant life. I think about this as well. It says when Peter saw the miracle missing in the church today is a legitimate fear of the Lord. I'm not talking necessarily about the fear of going to hell, so to speak, but there's something about the literal and actual presence of God when you recognize this is more than a fairy tale or religious activity. God is here. It will do something in your life. You will not go without a true reaction, whether it's good or bad. And neither one matters. It's the fact that you respond. Because some of us need to have that to get some of the stuff out of us that's still lodged in there. Anybody uh, okay? Yes, that's right. Sometimes God needs to so make himself real to us that those deep recesses of our heart come to light and we simply cry out. Maybe like Peter did. Peter said, depart from me, Lord, for I am nothing but a sinful man. That's remarkable. Did, did, did he cry that out when he saw the holiness of God? Not really. He cried that out when the God of the supernatural showed Peter what he could really become if he simply walked with him. He could succeed in places where he failed. How many of you would like that promise, that you could succeed in the places where you failed? I think that's a great promise. Astonishing catch a fish. And here's a remarkable thing. Once Peter said that to the Lord, Jesus said, Peter, don't be afraid. I really do think that fear, fear is at the bottom of almost all our bad actions. We're afraid of something. We're afraid of something. Why do people lie? A lot of times people lie because they're afraid for people to know who they really are. So they'll lie. It's fear. 
I really do believe the Lord wants to deliver his people this morning from fear. Fear of the past, fear of the future, fear of being discovered, fear of not having enough. All sorts of fears, I think, can influence and affect the church. But here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to climb into your boat this morning. Ha ha. He wants you to go to a picnic this morning. Do not fear the picnic, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing to fear. Okay. Um, why don't we pray about fear? I think that's very important. How many of you are afraid of something you don't want to be afraid of anymore? Why don't you stand up? We do have ministry teams today immediately after the service. If any of you would like prayer for any of these situations, if you'll come up over here, we'll be glad to pray. But, Father, we have things we're afraid of, and sometimes we can't work our way through them. So we're inviting you, Lord Jesus, into our lives. Come into our boats, Lord. Step into our lives, Lord, in a brand new way. How many of you want that? Step into our lives in a brand new way. Ask him. Let's, you ask him. Ask him yourself. Lord, yeah, speak it out. Talk to him. Don't think it. Say it. It's important. Jesus is not the thought of God. He's the word. Yeah, Lord Jesus. I really, I really do believe that 2017 is a year of breakthrough. Father, I agree with breakthrough, emotional breakthrough, physical breakthrough, relational breakthrough, business breakthrough. Father, I pray for the restoration of hopes and dreams. Lord, I know in every group this size, there are people who've given up on their hopes or given up on their dreams. Lord, I'm asking you to rekindle that now. Blow on those embers that are not dead because you are their God and you have given them those hopes. You've put within their DNA those dreams and they're still as real every bit as much as they have the DNA of who they are and who they are in you. So, Father, we just this morning, we cast all our care on you. We cast our anxiety, our fear, and we ask, Lord, that you would live in us at a new level. Father, I ask for wisdom. Lord, just like you gave miraculous wisdom to Peter on the sea, and you gave him an amazing uh, success, a ton of fish, so much so he couldn't even deal with it himself. It took a whole group of people. Father, I'm asking uh, that you would release to us um, help on a new level, help on a higher level. Lord, that there would be no sick among us. Lord, that everyone could have enough to pay their bills and more to give away. Father, that there would be um, a spirit of relational generosity. Lord, that you would release that apostolic gift of kindness that's rarely mentioned. Father, release kindness. Father, release hearts of mercy one to another. Father, release our capacity to rejoice in other people's victories, in other people's gains, in other people's uh, successes. Father, release 
among us um, new songs, new music, new books, new CDs, new clothing ideas, new design ideas, new media ideas, uh, new business ideas, ways to help people become better than they are and enter into who they are in you, Lord, in every area, Lord, in business, in finance, in the arts, in uh, entertainment, in education, Lord, in, in the government. And we do. We pray for our government, Lord, that your mercy would overwhelm our nation on every single level of government, that leaders would not unnecessarily fear leaders, but there would be a new kindness, a new mercy, uh, a new stability in national and international government and leadership. And, Lord, I pray and I agree. I believe there's a great awakening coming to our land. Lord, you have shown me repeatedly, repeatedly, as you have some of my uh, brethren like Arthur and Bob who've gone on. They felt like it was going to happen before they passed away. I don't know, Lord, but I'm asking that you would visit our nation again. Lord, that you would visit it in mercy and goodness and kindness. Lord, that you would bring that Isaiah Chapter 60 and chapter 61, that anointing that restores legacies, that releases prisoners, that cares for the homeless. Yes. Lord, I ask that you would pour out relational oil. Lord, that there would be um, an ease among people, an ease among cultures, an ease among relationships and business, in marriages and families, in schools, in governments, Lord, that there would be a fresh oil, that there would be a grace to get along better than ever before, Lord, a mercy, a kindness. Father, I ask also for um, a new healing anointing that would abide in our midst, Lord, not just from uh, necessarily from the pulpit, Lord, but that would abide in our midst that we would be a healing people, that we would not hesitate to believe and pray and release and command and declare and impart the healing virtue of Jesus that you have so freely given us, Lord. So we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. And here's Brandy. She's going to give us some instructions.